0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وكفى الصلاة والسلام على المستفع الحمد لله منش الخلق من عدم ثم الصلاة وللمختار في القدم مولا يصل وسلم دائما أبدا على حبيبك خير الخلق كلهم عوض بالله من الشيطان رجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والفجر ولايل عشر والشفع والوتم والليل ذا يصل وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم My respected friends, dear brothers and listeners from near and far, on these particular days, the opening days of Zil Hijjah, as we lead into the days of Hajj and ultimately into the day for us, the day of Qurbani, there are basically four lessons or four aspects of the season that we should reflect on. And the first reflection is the fact that we are alive at a particular time. One of the great sages of this Ummah, Mufti Zainul Abidin Rahmatul Alayhi, visited South Africa a number of occasions, especially on the occasions of our ijtimaat, used to summarize the duty and the responsibility of a Muslim in this way. Then what does it mean to be a Muslim? And he used to use a phrase which is a bit familiar with students of Arabic, but I'll explain it to you. He used to explain it in this way, that the definition of what a Muslim is, is that, You need to understand what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's command is directed to you right now. That's a Muslim. You need to understand what Allah ta'ala wants from you right now. For example, your nikah is taking place. What does Allah ta'ala want from you right now? You are in your business. You are in your trade and occupation. It's nine o'clock in the morning. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want from you right now? You're a student. And you're in a classroom somewhere, local or abroad. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want from you right now? That would be amr To understand what is the need of the moment and the need of the hour. And if a Muslim can develop this consciousness, then what does my Allah want from me now in this very second? Then you're a practicing Muslim. Then you're a conscious Muslim. Then by default you've got taqwa, you've got all those good qualities inside there because you have been able to understand what my Allah wants from me right now. Whether it's namaz time or not namaz time, what does my Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want from me right now? So this same applies to the passages of time that pass in the year. So when Ramadan comes, it is a passage of time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants something from you. Once in a lifetime, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala demands Hajj, if a person is able to do so. So that passage of time is restricted to a once in a year, so once in a lifetime sort of opportunity. Then on the daily aspect of a person, five times a day, Salah. 24 hours without any time restriction, abstention from Haram engaging in what is virtuous. So all of these passages of time represent what a Muslim must be. And the same applies to a person, be it in their business or be it in their studies, that they need to be conscious of what is required from me right now in order for me to function. So looking at the passage of time itself, Rasulullah sallam mentioned regarding this passage of time, that there is no days on the calendar that righteous actions and deeds are more beloved to allah subhanahu wa taala except on these on this occasion and rasulullah sir would even go on to further emphasize that the only person that can, that can equate who can you know who can be superior that a person who does a a tremendous amount of good deeds during this period of time is a person who has gone out in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his life and his wealth, out in jihad and has returned or has not returned with both. That means they have given up both in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now that person is in a category of their own. Even if a person does how many virtuous deeds in the opening 10 days of Zil hijjah that person would be an incomparable person. But the fact that, that there is an equation or a similarity drawn shows the loftiness of a person doing good deeds at this time. So let's say for example, somebody is compared to somebody else. You're trying to run, you're trying to improve your time. And you all of a sudden get compared or the people in the know compare you to a person who is a super athlete. The fact that the comparison has been made, the fact that they have been audacious enough to vent and compare you in a certain way, that says a lot. Rasulullah Wasallam does a comparison also. That a person who does virtuous deeds in this opening 10 days of Zilhijjah, supersedes everybody. And the only comparison that you could make is a man who goes out in the path of Allah and doesn't return with his life and his property and his shaheed and his martyr and he's gone from the dunya. Of course, in the akhirah he's still there, but gone from the dunya for good. A comparison made with that person. So the first task that everyone has at hand is to understand what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from me now in the opening 10 days of the month of zil Hija. By way of dhikr, by way of practicality, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was not necessarily specific that you need to do this amount and that amount and this equation. And you would notice that even in the approach towards Laylatul Qadr, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam taught the Ummah one small dua, Allahumma innaka tuhibbul which we have learned from now over the years. But specifications, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would not delve into knowing that the ummah is such that even to gain the very best reward must be accessible to a person who accepted Islam half an hour ago, or 15 minutes ago for that matter. Hence, if you are going to be specific, do this, this, this and that, then that person will say that, you know what, I'm being overpowered by the, I'm being subjugated by the amount of knowledge coming to me. Even if you look at Hajj for that matter, Hajj for that matter. Many people have been for Hajj, alhamdulillah. You may go for classes 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 months before you departed. On the occasion itself, you sat in every bayan that was now given, what must do, etc. But anybody will tell you that on the day I woke up on the 9th of Zilhijjah, which was the day of, uh, rather on the 8th, which was the, the day of Mina, and then onward to Arafah on the night, and then onward towards Mina, it was simply five, six things I could count on my hands that was required of me to do, and Hajj was done. Why? Because this is the very nature of our deen and which Rasulullah وسلم verbally used to say over and over again, In بْدِينَ Your deen is easy for you, your deen is easy for you. That person who wants to excel, there are opportunities for you to excel. But if you want to merely please your Allah, and fulfill your requirements, yusrun, Your deen is easy for you. And there should be nobody that has a single complaint why I cannot follow the practicalities of my deen. It is for this reason that Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam would say that all you have to do is good deeds. And when people would come and ask him, human nature, right? Morana, ustad, what must we do? How many times must read this? How many rakats? How many this? Sadaqah, okay, how much sadaqah? You know, those people are enthusiastic, so they ask the question. Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam would respond and would say sometimes, whatever you are able. Whatever you can. You know your limitations and know you know what are your restrictions. These are your obligations. But anything beyond that, whatever you can, you go ahead, noting that there are different levels of people in the Ummah. So hence the same rule will apply till eternity until the end, that everybody does what they are able to do. By way of a vicar, there's an important recommendation. We associate these 10 days with takbir, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illa Allahu, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, wa lillahi They are a zikr, or this zikr is not simply reserved for your morning of Eid. That you are going there, so you are reciting the takbir. You came to the Eidgah The Mukabir is now reciting the takbir over there. But the ulama have consistently emphasized that whilst the Sunnah, the established Sunnah through the Kitab, may be your 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 reading on that particular day, it is a vicar that is associated with this period of time. So as much and as often as possible. A person whilst they are walking, whilst they are moving, whilst they are, you know, waiting for a lift somewhere, whilst they are now between errands. I've got 15 minutes. Make that zikr of your takbir the same takbir. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. La ilaha illa Allahu, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar, walillahilhamd. Because this is a special zikr associated with this period of time. And then moving on, this is what is required of us whilst we are at home. Alhamdulillah. Us, woman folk at home, elders, seniors, that anybody could engage in. The second task that we have focused upon us during this period of time is to remain ever attentive with what is happening in the baytullah and with regards to the people who are there. This is something which is unique to this ummah. That the hajj, that person may be a haji there, But the attention that we should have, the enthusiasm and the desire that we have got a vested interest inside the Hajj, that we may be here, but we are connected over there, should be the hallmark and the feature of every Muslim, no matter where they reside. And the welfare of the Hujjaj, how they are doing consistent encouragement to that haji that one knows. And it's obviously easier these days that whenever you message them, you know that 22nd or whatever, they made the move to Azizia. And then from there on this day, they're now going to Mina. And then they're going to Arafat, which will be you know the 24-hour difference between us and them. But this very show of enthusiasm is a desired feature at this point in time, which was evident in the ummah, whenever you go and wherever you go. That how is the well-being of the hujjaj? That how are they doing? Making dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts the hajj of every one of them. How a person came is none of our concern or none of our issue. The fact that a person is there, They're the mihman and the guest of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whether you have gone before or haven't gone before. But that enthusiasm and that desire that, Oh Allah, that I'm concerned about their well-being, so that when my time comes soon, you call me there as well. This is a call and a need of the hour that a person consistently remains attentive to what happens in Makkah al-Mukarramah and the environments of Makkah al-Mukarramah by way of the welfare of the Hujjaj itself. And whilst, maybe it's not entirely very late or something, that it has always been the practice of our scholars and of our Masha'id, that especially when a person goes for Hajj, take out something from your pocket. Take out something from your pocket these days it's much more easier than maybe what it had been a few centuries ago. You would have to wait for that haji to come before he departs, two, three months before the month of zilhijja most likely, before he boards his ship or whatever the case may be. These days it's much more instantaneous. But request that haji to spend on the fellow hujjaj. Then whether it's a hundred rand or two hundred rand, spend with this near that oh allah subhanahu wa taala that i am putting my money there to accommodate your guests so that one day i will also be called as that guest ship on that baitullah and be attentive to their needs and continue to give them encouragement especially those that have departed with their families you know rasulullah sallallahu specifically said that that person who looks after the interests and the family members of one out in the path of allah will receive and share the ajr and the reward of that person who went out in the path of allah the same will apply to that of a haji that be attentive that they have left behind homes they have left behind families with the intention of now ensuring the safety and the comfort of those who are gone out in the part of Allah as our representatives, take it upon as a personal responsibility that I will make that phone call and I will inquire about the well-being of so-and-so. Whether they live on my street, whether they live three streets away, I will consider it my Muslim duty to be participant in taking care of the welfare of those who are the representatives of Allah, of, of, of this Ummah in front of the Baytullah during the next few days, inshallah, through the will and the decree of Allah. And the third focus of this particular period of time is for us to revise the lesson of Ibrahim and Ismail a.s. You see, this lesson of Ibrahim and Ismail a.s. has got volumes of wisdom which we continue to uncover as we discuss it and as we learn it. But I'll focus upon one before I move on to the fourth very important topic of the season here as well. The fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a dream to Ibrahim alayhi salatu salam. You see, the Anbiya alayhi salatu salam, their dreams are not like our dreams. Our dreams have the possibility of being A message from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It also has got a great responsibility of being our own metabolism, talking to us. If a person ate a belly full of kaleji at 11 o'clock at night, and now you're expecting sweet dreams at 2 o'clock in the morning, and what is the interpretation of this dream? that 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 the bull is chasing me. You shouldn't have eaten the... You know, you, your dish, you shouldn't, have, you shouldn't have eaten from the bull at 11 o'clock, otherwise it wouldn't be changing you. That's our dreams. But the Anbiya was disciplined individuals spiritually and physically. So every one of their dreams and instruction is wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and revelation that came from Allah. So Ibrahim salaam sees that revelation. And then when he sees that revelation, he knows what the revelation means. That he was going to take his son and slaughter his son. But he does something, which is the focus of our attention here today for the next couple of minutes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when he saw the dream, he went to his son. And he says that, Ya uh, Ya, yeah, oh my dear son, that I saw fil manam, in the dream, Anni azbahuk, that I am slaughtering you. Fangur ma'adha tara, tell me what you think. The son is small. Allah Himself says, you know, he now came to the age of walking or running, which one would assume 12, 13 years, round about there. There's no specifics regarding the age. Some say younger, some say older. But he certainly wasn't an adult. He certainly wasn't a big man at that point in time. That that we know for sure. But even though he had not reached the level of adulthood and wisdom and maturity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals in the surah here, surah 37, ayat number 107 specifically, wherein Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam comes to his son and says, I've seen a dream. I know what the meaning of the dream is. Fanzur, but tell me, oh my dear son, what do you think? There's wisdom inside here. That you want people to walk together with you on the path of Allah. Make sure you get, in a, you get a buy-in from them. Make sure you get a buy-in from your son, from your daughter, from your wife, from your brother, in order for you to successfully walk on the correct path. Otherwise, there's a chance. They will listen to you in your worldly life because you are paying the bills. But once you come out of the house horizontally, and we pray your janaza here in the back, they are just waiting to squander your money and the opportunities that you gave them because you did not walk with them on the same path side by side, like Ibrahim a.s. consulting with his son. You were simply a dictator. You were a a man in front. Now you've gone. Now we're free. We can carry on and going whatever direction we wanted to go. Our obstacle has now just left in the form of a janazah. Billah. So many houses in that particular position. Allah Taala counsels us how not to be in that position. By saying that when my Khalil, when my friend Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam, saw that dream, he didn't grab the hand of his son and grab the knife and move towards Mina and now I'm slaughtering you. But he consults with him. Walk with me on this path my son is an order of Allah that will be difficult on you and me and everybody for that matter. I waited for you for decades. I had no children. You came in my life. Allah Ta'ala orders me to slaughter you. It's hard on me and harder on me than you're a child. You you, you know, you are just on the other end of the blade. You'll die assuming I run the blade. I have to live with the fact that I ran the blade over your neck because it was the command of Allah. So you walk with me, my son, on this path. And the virtuous son, because of the tarbiyah of the father and his mother, Allah ta'ala grant them both the loftiest ranks, the friend of Allah, and our mother, Bibi Hajar, alayhi salatu wassalam, who we reminisce when we go to the green lights on Safa Marwa. It's her, climbing Safa, climbing Marwa between the green lights. It's not Ibrahim, alayhi salatu wassalam, Sunnah. It's our mother, Hajar, alayhi salatu wassalam. Why Allah ta'ala acknowledging that the fact that the decision came, that the father and the son walked on the same path was the tarbiyah of the father and the mother at the same time. Which every bu'atamir, every haji, every person commemorates right till now and it never stops. Look at the sa'i, look at the mataf at any time. Any time even now for that matter. The commemoration of the sacrifice of mother and father never stopped. And will continue as long as the, the and the believers continue on the surface of the earth. So he says, Fanzur ma'da ta Tell me what do you think? And the son responds, Ya aba tif'al ma tu'mar. Oh my dear father, do whatever you commanded. Do whatever you, I'm walking with you. Do whatever you commanded. You will find me sabireen, from the patient ones. He doesn't tell him I'm not scared. Because he's scared. He doesn't tell him I'm not fearful because ultimately he's a human being. He's going to have emotions and fear and whatnot. It cannot be expected that it not be. It's like you asking the water not to be wet. How can the water not be wet? It's wet. You have to control it in your way. I'm going to have all these emotions. But I hope to be amongst the patient ones. That the emotions do not allow me, or do not come to a point that it hinders me in obeying the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I will have that pain, I'll have that fear, I'll have that concern, I'm not going to die for the sake of Allah. But you will find me from the patient ones. This is what this is the conversation between the father and the son. And in this ayam and in these days of qurbani as we head into the days of hajj, it is a reminder of the sacrifice of father and son, so that when our opportunity comes, not to the extent of sacrificing by running a blade on the neck, but by saying no to riba, by saying no to zina, by saying no to all those things. Like how like how they said yes to the command of Allah. Will I say yes to the command of Allah by doing these actions and abstaining from those actions. That's our qurbani. That's our sacrifice at that time. And the purpose of revisiting the lesson is so that a person applies it when it now duly comes to them in the form that is managed by that particular person. This is the system of Allah. And the final discussion, alhamdulillah, before we conclude our discussion here today, is alhamdulillah, it is the days of qurbani, it is the days of sacrifice. And qurbani is mandated upon every Muslim who has the means, who has the funds to do so. If a person does not have the funds and the means to make the purchase, it is not mandated upon that person That is an understood principle of deen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not made it difficult that you have to do if you do not have the means or borrow or whatever the case may be. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not demand that a person borrow, take what's not theirs. And what's very important is that you see qurbani and sacrifice. Qurbani and sacrifice is not a recreational pursuit. That I've got a bigger sheep and we had so many sheep. We leave that for the children's days, when it was like maybe you know, as kids and, and teenagers or something. Now we are adults, we can understand it better. It is an ibadah. It is a it is an ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that a person holds very dear and personal between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it must be held in that status. So whether a person does big or small doesn't matter. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't accept, then what's the use? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala must accept that qurbani. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept when a person has followed the rules. Is it obligatory upon me? If it is, alhamdulillah. And if I have taken on that obligation upon me, I do it according to the sunnah way. And the sunnah way is looking after the animal, because this animal ultimately is a makhluk and a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What an irony that you travel quite often in the Muslim world and you find pack animals, your donkeys, your horses, beaten to a stick, can't even move. Whereas the highest culture of looking after animals supposed to be in this Ummah of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on one occasion walking in the marketplace, a camel comes, puts its neck on the shoulder of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Rasulullah wa Sallam says, "Who's the owner of this animal? Call him to me. Bring him here." Young boy comes. Says that this animal complains to me that you don't feed it adequately, you are mistreating it, you burden it more than what it can bear. Ittaqillah, fear Allah Subhanahu wa Taala with regards to these animals that cannot speak. Why Khalku a'yalullah? That the creation, all of them, are actually the family of Allah. Not the obviously the biological family, but family in the sense Allah ta'ala looks after them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala extracts revenge if they are mistreated in any particular way. So fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regarding them. So for those who are bringing and taking custody of animals, ensure that they are well looked after. Ensure that you have a clean place. It must not be... There are other people who, by the way, ritual slaughter is accepted in this country, alhamdulillah. We've got no problems like our other brethren living in the West, you know, who have got to you know, do things in a different way. But alhamdulillah, it's open and available in this country. But at the same time, be mindful of our neighbors and those who are around us. Have a clean operation. Have a decent operation. No, If you do not know what to do, then you might want to do it somewhere else. Or you might want to learn better how to do it in such a way that you do not offend another person. You do not offend a person even if, you know, unmeaningly or unmindfully. Granted, there will always be always those people who raise ridiculous objections and the statement is not for them. But there are also many of us who mishandle a carcass throw your skins all over, throw your offals all over. This is not the way of a mu'min, this is not the way of a believer. But a person has a clean operation to a point that the standard shown to us about the slaughter and treatment of animals is far superior than any standard that any abattoir in the east or the west could even implement now. Because we don't have a commercial nature towards them. We have an affectionate nature towards them. That is the difference between us and them. We look at them as a form of our ibadah. We look at cleanliness as a form of us getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even Rasulullah was specific to a point wherein he sees that sahabi, sharpening that blade in front of the animal. That what is wrong with you? Do you want to give it two deaths? One debt when you're busy sharpening in front of it, and the other one, when you run the blade, these are all the etiquettes of our deed, shown to us in the most practical way by the Master, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And if a person wants to achieve any success, it is only in following the Master, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in the way that they prepare, do their kurbani, or anything for that matter. Divide the carcass, one third, one third, it's not obligatory. It is preferred that a person does so to the poor, to the family, and one to, one, you know, to oneself. Alternatively, a person could keep it themselves, give it away themselves, it is up to them. But do not have the culture of wastage. Already have a plan, that if I'm not going to eat this, who is now going to take it? Already understand that if I'm doing it at home and a mess is going to be created, how rapid am I going to be to clean up that particular area so that I do not become a source of taklif for anybody the day after or two, three day, two, three days later on. And it can be done if a person has a will, alhamdulillah, and if a person has the correct sunnah t- t- technique. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from every one of us, of course, as the days of uh, Eid come, which we are of course, this is the last Jummah before the arrival of the day of Eid. You'll be duly advised regarding the takbirat that is to be recited after every salah. Remember, these takbirat are wajib. This is not a mustahab preferable subhanallah, subhanallah that a person makes after every salah. The takbirat during the ayyam and the days of hajj from the evening before is now wajib for a male to recite in an audible way. And for a for a Muslim woman to recite in an inaudible way. So, you're not going to be reminded next Juma or the day of Eid. It's too late for that. But rather, this is the reminder here right now. So be attentive of the arrival of your first salah, when the takbirats become wajib upon a person. For this is a requirement, a wajib requirement of these ayyam, of these days. Allah ta'ala grant us tawfi.